please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. That's found on page 929 in the red Bibles in front of you. Acts chapter 20, and I will be reading verses 6 and 7. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. It's good to see all of you this morning. I know we've got a number who are visiting with us. We're really, really glad that you've come our way. We have lunch prepared after services this morning over in the building, uh, just to my right, your left, back, uh, back this direction, just follow the crowd. But we would love for you to stay if you, if you would like to and enjoy a meal with us so we can get to visit together. And maybe you're saying, well, Brother John, I've stayed before for family circle meals and can I do it again? Yes, you can. If you've stayed before, we'd love for you to stay with us again and, and to have another meal with us. Uh, we're really glad that you've come. And uh, even if you're just passing through town, please stay. Let us get to know you. Let us get to spend some time together. That's what that, that meal is for. In Acts chapter 20, we read an account of the early church worshiping together. Worship is the most important thing we do. And it's not even close. When we worship, we are giving honor and glory and praise to the God of heaven. We are communing with him in his presence. When we worship, it is without equivocation the most important thing we do. And the Bible tells us that the early church periodically gathered for worship. There's some things we can learn by looking at them because we believe in churches of Christ that if we will just read the New Testament and if we'll do now what they did then, we'll be now what they were then. If we will just do right now what we see our brethren in the early church in the first century doing, then we'll be what they were. And you know what they were? They were Christians. They were disciples. They were servants of Jesus. That's what we want to be. That's all we want to be. But we see them worshiping together. Did you know that when you come to worship God, that we are to bring something to him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Hebrews 13, verse 15, the Bible says that when we come before God, we bring the sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips. In the Old Testament, they used to bring goats and sheep and cattle to the temple to offer as sacrifices to God and the quality of the sheep mattered. The kind of sheep you brought to God and offered to God, that mattered. But in the New Testament, we don't bring sheep we bring the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. In 1 Peter 2 verse 5, much the same idea is found. The Bible speaks about how we're a royal priesthood, we're a chosen generation, and we're offering spiritual sacrifices to God. When we come and worship, brothers and sisters and friends, it's not a spectator sport. It is something that we are offering to our Heavenly Father. He's the audience. He's the one that we are trying to please, that we're trying to glorify, that we're trying to give worship and praise and glory to. And so when we think about what worship is, worship is bringing sacrifices of praise and it's remembering and thinking about and giving our obedience and our concentration and our, our prayers, giving all those things to God. 
How are you worshiping these days? When it comes to offering anything to God, how are you doing? Because it's possible to sit there, I know, I've done it. It's possible to sit there and not really be tuned in to the words that we're singing or the prayers that are being led or what we're doing during the Lord's Supper. It's possible for that to happen. Let's spend some time this morning thinking about worship in the early church. If you've got your Bibles and you haven't already opened to Acts 20, please do so. Acts chapter 20. And I want to read verses 6 through 12. It's kind of funny in a way because the preacher preached a long time and somebody fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. And then he was brought back to life. It's kind of humorous in that regard. But I want us to learn some lessons about worship in the early church by reading this text. Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 6. Alex read this for just a moment ago. We sailed away from Philippi, Acts 20, verse 6, after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas. That's the ancient city of Troy. You remember the Greek stories about the Trojan horse and all that? That's where this took place. There were some Christians in the first century in the city of Troas, Troy. That's where they are. And it says, we stayed there for seven days. Why'd they stay seven days? Because they wanted to worship with the saints. Look at verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart until the next, uh, on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him, He took him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Just one little glimpse into the life of the church at Troy, at Troas. Just one little glimpse into the kind of people they were and the kinds of things they did. But there's a lot to be gleaned in this one little glimpse into the worship of the early church. Let's learn some things this morning. In the first place, I want us to notice that they met on the Lord's day. When they gathered for worship, they gathered on the first day of the week. Do you see that in Acts chapter 20, verse seven? When did they gather? When did they come together? You know, Jews were taught that they were supposed to assemble on the Sabbath day. For centuries, the Jews had worshiped on the Sabbath day. It wasn't just an afterthought, it was one of the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 10, speaks about keeping the Sabbath holy. The Sabbath day, brothers and sisters and friends, is Saturday. And so, people that had grown up as Jews would go to the synagogues on Saturday. And that's when they would spend time together. And that's when they would spend time praying together. But the early church was different. The early church, these first Christians, they were not worshiping together on Saturday. Oh, they could if they wanted to gather. But it says in Acts 20 verse 7 that there was something special about the first day of the week to them. Because that was the day they gathered to break bread. That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. More about that in a moment. But that was the day they gathered. And one of the things this signifies for us is that there is a disconnect. There is a new covenant that's been created. 
You know, at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, as Jesus was observing the Passover, which was a Jewish ceremony, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he says, all of you drink from it because in this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Jesus knew full well that the old covenant was being nailed to the cross and it was being done away and that he was establishing a new covenant. And indeed, the New Testament tells us as Christians that we are a part of a new covenant. Jesus has obtained a better ministry, Hebrews 8 verse 6, a better covenant based on better promises. We are not part of the old law anymore. We don't look to the Ten Commandments for guidance in how to please and worship and praise God anymore. There's a lot of good things to be gleaned still from the Ten Commandments. The things that were written were written for our learning, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. But we look to the new law. We look to the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And the fact that these Christians in Acts 20, verse 7, are worshiping on the first day of the week is significant. There's something special about Sunday. I know most of the world looks at Sunday as just the second half of the weekend. You know, we live not far from I-10, most of y'all do as well, and pretty much any day of the week you can walk out your back door, front door, and you can hear the traffic on I-10, but on Sundays it's less, isn't it? On Sundays, many of you come a long way to the church building to worship with us here. On Sundays, traffic is not bad, is it? People look at Sunday as a day of rest and a day of relaxation, a day to do what I want to do, a day when I can sleep in. But the early church looked at Sunday and said, there's something special about Sunday and it's special to me because it is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Mark 16, verses 1 and 2. And not only that, it's the day that the church began, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost always, always happened on a Sunday, always the first day of the week. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Paul writes, on the first day of every week, when you are gathered together, that's when you are to lay by in store. That's when you are to give. The early church saw significance under the new covenant about the first day of the week. There's something about Sunday that is special. God has carved this day out of the week for his people. And he has said, this is the day when I want you to come before me, when I want you to gather together. This is the day when I want you to assemble. This is the day in which I want you to worship me. Can the church assemble at other times? Oh, absolutely. For other reasons? Absolutely. But there's something significant and special about the first day of the week. In Revelation 1 verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Well, what day is the Lord's day? Well, in one sense, every day is the Lord's day, but there's a special sense in which Sunday is the Lord's day. Brothers and sisters and friends, there's something significant about Sunday. There's something theologically important about Sunday. And the New Testament and the early church bear this out. That's why the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom or as is the manner of some. There are people who live their lives and they think, I could just serve Jesus all by myself. I don't need the church. Let me, let me tell you this. God has built the church in such a way that the church periodically manifests its existence by gathering together. That's how God built the church. The church must periodically come together, we must assemble together to manifest our existence, to manifest our loyalty to Jesus, to manifest the fact that we praise and worship and serve God together. 
We manifest that. When we leave this morning, when we leave this evening, we all go back to our homes and our lives. And for the rest of the week, except for maybe Wednesday night, for the rest of the week, you don't see the church assembled. There's something about the assembling of ourselves together that shows not only us, but shows the world. Jesus is alive and we wanna serve and honor him. On the Lord's day, they did this, the first day of the week. But notice again, as you look at Acts chapter 20 and verse seven, notice secondly that the Lord's people are the ones who are gathered. The Bible being written by Luke here, Luke was a Christian and Luke was part of Paul's group. And Luke mentions like seven other names back in verses four and five that were waiting for Paul at Troas. They were waiting for him to come. And they all were looking for the church in Troas. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse seven and Acts chapter 20, verse eight, that we were gathered together. Who's gathered together? The people of God. The word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. I think some of our young people learned about this at Peach Valley this week at camp. Ekklesia. And the word ekklesia means a group or an assembly. That's what the word means. And so what the church is, it's a group or an assembly and they have gathered together on the first day of the week. They've come together in order to worship and honor God, to praise him. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 makes mention of when the church is gathered together, when the people of God have assembled. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, when you come together as a church, there are times in which it is right and good and biblical for us to gather together. The Lord's people had gathered together. Now, who are the Lord's people? As you look at the passage and you think about who the Lord's people are, these are people who serve and follow and honor Jesus Christ. And when they gathered together, the Lord's people, what kinds of things happened? What kinds of things were taking place? Well, they're gathering on the Lord's day on Sunday. They're gathering together as the Lord's people. And it's interesting. 1 Corinthians 14, by the way, if you want homework this, this afternoon, read 1 Corinthians 14 because it is a lengthy treatment of what it means to come together in a worship assembly. And in 1 Corinthians 14, in Corinth, different place, different time, there was a congregation not unlike this one and everybody was talking over everybody else. People were standing up and saying, I've got something to say, I, I wanna say something. And, and, and people were kind of fussing and arguing with each other. And 1 Corinthians 14, says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as he is in all the churches. God wants the assemblies of his people to be peaceful assemblies, to be orderly assemblies. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And so when these early Christians gathered, what kind of assembly was it? It was a gathering of God's people. They came together, but they wanted to do things decently and in order. And Paul, since he was an apostle, and since he was famous and since he was somebody that was receiving revelations from God, Paul was the one on this occasion that does the teaching, does the preaching. And so Paul begins to teach and to preach and Bible says he prolonged his lesson until midnight. As a Christian, we need to think about what our, our assemblies are, are characterized by. What are the things that, that make up when the people of God are gathered together? What kinds of things happen? 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible speaks about those who are of like precious faith, talking about Christians, people who belong to Jesus, those who believe the same things, they, they know the same things, they've obeyed the same gospel, they've done the same things in order to be saved. That's what it means to be a child of God, a Christian, those who are of like precious faith. How does one become a Christian? Jesus says in John 3, verse 5, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Born. Born again, he says in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. How does somebody get into the group, the assembly of God? How does somebody get into the church? How do I become a part of the church? The Bible says that we become a part of the church when we are baptized into Christ. Because baptism is, according to Jesus, it is the new birth. It's the point at which we, we are born into the family of God. And then we assemble with the Lord's people because those are the people we want to worship God with. And those are the people that, that look at the Bible and they say, I want to do God's will and I want to serve Jesus Christ the way the Bible describes. The Lord's people were gathered on this day. As you look at the passage again in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, you'll notice that the Lord's Supper is something that was observed. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, what was the purpose for their gathering together? They gathered together to greet and encourage one another. Other passages in the New Testament would say that. Certainly they sang together. Certainly they prayed together. Certainly they heard some teaching from God's word that you read about here. But especially what's mentioned here is they gathered to break bread. That is the way Luke refers to the Lord's Supper. We just observed the Lord's Supper a few moments ago where we ate the bread and we drank the fruit of the vine. And, and the reason for that is because that's what Jesus commanded his people to do. He told them, this is how you honor me. This is how you worship me until I come, until I return. In Acts 2 verse 42, from the very day of Pentecost, the Bible says that the early Christians, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What did those early Christians do? They observed the Lord's Supper. They ate the Lord's Supper every first day of every week. We live in a time when a lot of religious bodies around us say that the Lord's Supper is something that, you know, it kind of loses its meaning if we eat it every week. And so we're just gonna observe it once a quarter or maybe once every year or maybe on special occasions. We're just going to observe the Lord's Supper once in a while. God has carved out Sunday as a day on which his people assemble and every time his people assemble on the Lord's day, this is God's will for our lives. Open your Bibles if you would, just keep your finger there in Acts 2, open your, or Acts 20, excuse me. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just some observations to make as these people gathered to eat the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 20, what, what's happening here in 1 Corinthians 11 is that the Bible is correcting some abuses that are happening in the Lord's Supper. And so in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 20, Paul says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're not coming together to eat the Lord's Supper. You're doing something else because you are hard-hearted and you're perverting and twisting something that's supposed to be holy and noble and part of our worship. You're, you're twisting it into something else. You see what they were doing was they had made it into kind of a common meal and those who were rich in Corinth, they were eating because we brought the food. 
And those who were poor and those who didn't have anything to bring, they were being left out, left behind. And so the church was being divided rather than united by what was happening here. So not only is Christ not being honored, but brethren are being dishonored in what they're doing. That's why he says, you're coming together, but it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33 at the end of the chapter. He says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In other words, stop making the Lord's Supper a common meal. Stop making it something where you're just filling your belly and it's all about you and what you want. That's not what the Lord's Supper was ever intended to be. If you're hungry, eat at home. When you come together, make sure that what you're doing is reflecting on the death of Jesus and what that means. That's what he's saying to these brethren. Make sure that you are properly observing the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, he tells us what this looks like. Beginning in verse 23, he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that at the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters and friends, one of the things we do in the Lord's Supper is proclaim the death of Jesus. We are preaching. We're preaching to each other and we're preaching to the world. Jesus died for us. This means something to us. And we want it to mean something to everybody. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now back up a chapter. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. In a different discussion, in Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, talking about the fruit of the vine. He says, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? You know, sometimes we call the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. Our elders characteristically on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights will say, has anybody lost or left, left behind their communion supplies? Why do we call it communion? Because the Bible uses this term, this terminology. We are having communion with the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, it is a participation, a communion in the body of Christ. And notice verse 17, it says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. One of the things we're doing when we observe the Lord's Supper is proclaiming the Lord's death. Another thing we're doing when we observe the Lord's Supper is that we are having communion with the body and blood of Christ. And a third thing that's happening when we observe the Lord's Supper is that we are recognizing around us and in our minds and our imaginations, we are remembering our brethren all over the world who also are of like precious faith, all one in Christ Jesus. The Lord's Supper is an amazing and a beautiful thing when we properly conceive of what it is. And the early Christians, this was why they came together. Yes, they encouraged each other. Yes, they prayed together. But this, this was the centerpiece of everything they gathered for on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Paul writes how we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And he says, you're Jews and Greeks and you're slaves and free, but you're all one in Christ Jesus. One of the things the Lord's Supper does is it is a recognition that God has made us one. All the divisions and all the animosity that you see and feel and understand in the world, all of that has been dealt with in the cross of Jesus. 
And the world is trying to find a way, a path forward. How are we going to be united? How are we going to find and end all kinds of oppression and all kinds of injustice? And the answer the Bible gives is emphatic. The Bible says the cross is how that happens. And the Lord's Supper is our recognition of that, that God has made us one in Christ Jesus. The early church met and Jews and Gentiles who grew up with completely different ancestry, completely different cultures, completely different ethnicity, Jews and Gentiles could look across the table as they observed the Lord's Supper and they could say legitimately, you're my brother, you're my sister, we are family. God has made us one and the Lord's Supper is a recognition of that. So, as often as we eat, as often as we drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When are we gonna stop observing the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week? When Jesus comes, that's when, not before. What do you see the early church doing? If you go back to Acts chapter 20, you see when they gathered in that upper room, they listened to the Lord's message. It was not a message that Paul had just sat down and thought, you know, I've, I've got to put some inspiring things together to really encourage these saints at Troas. No, Paul was speaking the words of Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse seven, he prolonged his message till midnight. We make jokes about that, I understand. I've never yet preached a sermon until midnight, not yet. But there is something that is significant about that. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and he was hearing everywhere he stopped that he was gonna be put in chains, that he was gonna be bound when he went to Jerusalem. He was hearing that it was gonna go badly for him when he got there. And so Paul, as he's visiting all these churches in places like Troas and Corinth and other places, Paul is thinking in his mind, this may be the last time I ever see the church. I've got a lot to say. I've got a lot of things I wanna remind the brethren about. That's why he preached till midnight. I'm not gonna see these people again probably. What would you say? I mean, how long would your lesson be if this was the last time and you really loved and cared about these people and you didn't want them to be lost? That's why he's preaching so long. What's he preaching? I'll tell you what he's preaching. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Second Corinthians 4 verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. First Corinthians 2 2, I declared nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I wanted to preach. That's all I wanted to talk about. So what was Paul's lesson? I don't know what specifically he spoke about, but I guarantee it had to do with Jesus and the cross. Those are the things that they heard. Those are the things that the early church heard. And brethren, the church today needs to hear those same things. We still need to hear about Jesus and his cross. We still need to hear the old, old story. That's what they did every first day of the week when they assembled. James 1 verse 21 tells us to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Acts 20, 32 calls it the word of his grace which is able to build us up. That's what God has left for us so that we can be built up in faith, we can be encouraged. We need more of the Bible in our lives. We need more of the Bible in the church. We need to hear more about Jesus and the cross and what he's done for us. Colossians 1.28, we preach him, Paul says, warning every man and admonishing every man in all wisdom so that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. If you could talk to Paul and say, what was your point? What was your purpose in life, Paul? Paul would say, my whole ministry was about helping people grow up. That's what I was all about. I wanted people to grow up. And what do you want them to grow up to be, Paul? I want them to grow up to be like Jesus. That's what. 
So everything he preached and every lesson he ever taught and every Bible class he ever put together, Paul, he had one goal in mind. I want people to be like Christ. I want them to show his mind and his heart and his attitudes. That's what these, these people were listening to. It wasn't just a message where, you know, we're gonna go through another book one more time. We want people to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. In Acts chapter 20, verse 11, if you're looking in the, in the passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 11, notice what happens. After Paul preaches till midnight, it says he goes up, he breaks bread, he eats, and he converses with them a long while until daybreak, and then he departs. This was a long lesson. Why did Paul talk so long? Paul talked so long because the message was that important and he wasn't gonna be present to preach and they didn't have live stream and they didn't have MP3 files and they didn't have tape recorders. This is it. This is what I'm gonna say to you. And I, I need to say everything I've got to say. It's on my heart. And I guarantee that if you've asked Paul, did you say everything? He'd say there was so much still left to say, but I tried to make an impact. I tried to make a dent when I talked to the church at Troas. Preach the word. People need to hear the word, not stories, not funny accounts of what's happening in your life. People need to hear the word of God. That must be our priority. That's how the church is built up and that's how people become more like Jesus, the Lord's message. Fifth, when you look at the early church here in Acts chapter 20 and verse six, you'll find the Lord's blessing. The whole thing with Eutychus, this young man that falls out of the third story window, why is that significant? Why is that even there? It's there because it gives you an insight into some of the practical difficulties of the church meeting together. He fell out of the third story window, the Bible says. They were on the third floor. I'm sure this was some kind of apartment building. Back in March, um, a number of us went to Monterey, Mexico, and we worshiped on Sunday morning with the church at Apodaca. And some of you have been there. The church at Apodaca has bought, has purchased a two-story house in a neighborhood, in a residential area. And they've converted the upper floor into their auditorium. And so I was thinking about this passage as we went up the stairs, you know, we got there and they've got kind of a kitchen downstairs and some children's classrooms and things. And then you go up the stairs and there you have just kind of an open area and everybody worships on the second floor of the auditorium there. And I thought, this is biblical. Second floor, probably need one more if we're gonna be really biblical, but no, they were on the third floor in, in, in Troas, but that's where they worshiped. And you know what? There were chickens outside and they were making noise. And, and there were people and cars in the street outside and they were making noise and you'd get the exhaust fumes every once in a while and it was hot. I mean, it was really hot in March even. And it was uncomfortable. And I had to really concentrate, you know, We've got eight air conditioners in this room and most of the time when they're in operation, we've had some issues this summer, as you know, but most of the time it's pretty comfortable, right? And yes, there are gonna be distractions anytime, but these people, the people in Mexico, the people in Acts, they had some real inconveniences. And so think about where Eutychus was. He's in a window trying to listen to Paul. Why is he in a window? I'll tell you why. Because Eutychus wanted to be cooler, that's why. Eutychus needed some breeze. And Eutychus, maybe he's worked all day, I don't know, but whatever's going on in Eutychus's life, Eutychus just can't keep his eyes open. I mean, Paul's talking until midnight, he's gonna talk until sunup, and Eutychus just falls asleep. I've told some of you, I've got a book in my office, great title, maybe the best title out of any book in my office. It's a book about preaching, 
and the book is entitled Saving Eutychus, How to Preach God's Word Without Being Boring. (laughs) I need to read that book again. It's actually got some pretty good thoughts. Eutychus fell asleep, fell out of the window. The Bible says Paul goes down, Paul's a missionary, Paul is an apostle, and Paul raises this boy from the dead. And one of the many things that indicates and signifies is, yes, Paul's message is authentic. This long message that Paul preaches all night long, this is from God. How do I know it's from God? Did you see what he did to Eutychus? He raised that boy from the dead. That's how I know God is with Paul. That's how I know that the message I heard from Paul is real. It's true. It's from God. But it also indicates that God approves of what the church is doing. God approves of what they're doing. They are gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. They are gathered together as brethren to worship God together and God blesses them. And so he confirms that what's being done and what's being said is his will by signs and miracles and wonders. Mark 16, 20, Hebrews 2, verses three and four. God confirms what's happening. This is my will by the miracles that are happening. Jesus said in John 4, 24, that God's looking for people to worship him. He says, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. We bring our sacrifices and our offerings to God. We do so sincerely. We do so on the first day of the week because we know that God approves of this. This is his will. This is his desire for our lives. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Give the Lord the glory that is due his name. Psalm 29, verse two. Brothers and sisters and friends, There's a lot you can learn from the early church, but I'll tell you something. The most important thing we do in our lives is when we worship God. When we come together and we sing praises and we observe the Lord's Supper and we hear prayers being prayed and offered to God on our behalf, when we hear a message from his word, when we give of our means, the most important thing in our lives is worship. Here's my challenge to you. Don't let worship become just an afterthought. And don't let worship become something that you just do by rote, by routine. Look at what they had to go through. Look at the difficulties of being where they were, in the room where they were, the challenges that they had, the time element of it. Look at all those things and ask yourself, all right, what do I really have to complain about? What do I really have that is a distraction that I just can't focus? Don't let worship become an afterthought because God is dishonored when we do that. But God is glorified and praised when sincere and humble hearts come to him in simplicity and in the truth of what his word teaches and bring him glory. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a New Testament Christian, you wanna obey the gospel. That's a wonderful thing to wanna do. Baptism is the new birth. It's how you're added to the church that we read about in the New Testament. If we just do right now what they did, we'll be what they were. They were baptized, having repented of their sins, having confessed that Jesus Christ is God's son, having put their faith and their trust in the cross. They were baptized. And at that moment of their baptism, they were born again. Maybe you want to do that this morning. Maybe you need to ask for prayers. Whatever you need, won't you come all together? We stand while we sing. We'll see you then.